You're listening to the Auxiliary Gate Podcast, Kentucky's weekly horse racing discussion. And now, here are your hosts, Alan Schneider. Woodson from the gun, play fake, step it up. He's throwing deep down the near sideline. He's got Johnson. 20, 10, 5, touchdown, Kentucky. 13 is a lucky number. Brandon Jaggers. Glenn turns, leaves it with Scott. No! Hit at the 16! He did not get it! Victory! Kentucky! They have done it! Big blue madness on the football field at Commonwealth Stadium. It's number one goes down. And me, CC brought us. Seven seconds to play. Now five. Here's how you count to eight. Three, two, one. And for the eighth time, college basketball's national championship trophy is coming home to Kentucky. The Wildcats defeat Kansas 67 to 59. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 46 of the Auxiliary Gate podcast. I'm CC Broadus, broadcasting from the international media headquarters of the Auxiliary Gate Podcast in beautiful Bloomfield, <laughs> Kentucky, and I'm joined by Alan Schneider from his palatial estate in the suburbs of Fern Creek, Kentucky. Alan, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm great. It's funny hearing the phrase "palatial estate" in uh, in sub- suburbs of Fern-, Fern Creek in the in the same sentence, but okay. <laughs> well, if I had if I had your money, I'd burn mine. So. Just remember that. Uh, Alan, we had a uh, huge weekend of Kentucky Derby prep races. Uh, we want to talk about those right now before we get to our guest. Let's start with the UAE Derby won by Rebels Romance. Uh, I say this every year that the UAE Derby winner always looks really, really impressive. And and you, you would think at some point along the way that a, a winner would come over here and actually threaten in the Kentucky Derby. But, Alan, that hasn't been the case, has it? That has not been the case. I, uh, I guess I'm guilty of just automatically discounting the winner of that race. I understand why Churchill Downs does it. Um, I kind of feel bad that they may take a spot from someone in this country. That said, uh, Godolphin's hand is loaded. I know they won the race. Uh, do they come? Do they not come since they have so many uh, – uh, contenders here. I mean, we'll see, but honestly, I didn't pay a heck of a lot of attention to it. Nothing against the winner, nothing against the connections, but history's, history is what it is. So, Yeah, let's talk about uh, a race that probably has a little bit more impact uh, here, and that was the Jeff Ruby Stakes at Turfway on Saturday, and it was won by Wesley Ward's Like a King, who is a son of Palace Malice, and he, he swept a victory late to win the race over uh, our fast-closing sainthood. Uh, first of all, your uh, reaction to the winner of the Jeff Ruby Stakes. I almost forgot the name. I keep wanting to call it the Spiral, but it's the Jeff Ruby Stakes. Uh, I thought it was a good effort. Uh, everybody's going to automatically knock and discount the horses from Turfway Park. I think that's slightly foolish. I don't know if they're the, the top-level contenders. But like the King has uh, shown quite a bit of an affinity for coming from off the pace, stalking the pace, being on the lead. There's a certain sense of tractability that you always like with a horse like that. Uh, he did win a mile and eighth. And, and the runner-up for Sainthood, I believe it's only the third lifetime start for Sainthood and Todd Fletcher. That horse came rolling. 
I'm not automatically going to discount these horses like everybody else has because, let, let's face it, I mean, with some of the results we've seen recently, outside of the top two or three, everything's kind of a bit of a mishmash between number four and number 15 right now, right? So, uh, you know, I, I like I like both the, both the top two horses in that race. You like the King earned a buyer of 86, you know, not super fast, but – uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think Sainthood. Sainthood had a really interesting trip in the race. Uh, he was he was up close to the pace early. Then he then he kind of got shuffled back a little bit, and then really came flying late. So I think there's a I think that horse has some upside. Just uh, no, no doubt. Just, Still learning the game. Still learning the game. And third lifetime start. And the horse really did come rolling. Now, now what? No matter what people say, that wasn't a bad field. I thought that was a, a one of the more evenly matched Derby preps you're going to see this year. Yeah, I I agree with you there. Uh, and then. Quickly, we'll talk about the uh, the Florida Derby, and that was won by Known Agenda, son of Curlin, for the uh, uh, Todd Fletcher Barn, and he swept a victory. Uh, the disappointment of the race, of course, was Greatest Honor, who finished third, but uh, your reaction to Known Agenda in the Florida Derby? Well, before we get to that, I mean, we're talking about a disappointment. Going back to the Jeff Ruby, uh, Tarantino I mean, I'm not sure what happened to Tarantino. was last by 30 lengths all the way around the track. I'm not really sure what happened. The reason I bring that up now is because Greatest Honor beat Tarantino uh, a couple back. So by no means is that a knock on Greatest Honor. I just wanted to mention that Tarantino, I think, might have went off favorite in the Jeff Ruby. Yeah, uh, he, Greatest Honor, did, did he, it, was, it was close. It was close in the wagering, I think. I don't know if you know or not. I, I don't. I don't. But uh, Greatest Honor. You know, I'm not going to hold the race completely against him. I, I don't think it was the best ride. I don't think it was the best scenario for him. I think a lot of people did not think he was going to win that race because of the way it's set up. Um, that said, honestly, nothing in the race really impressed me, truthfully. I don't know. I mean, I'm still going to give Grace Honor a bit of a pass. Do I think the soup and sandwiches of the world and, and some of the other ones? Uh, I don't know. But then again, we've got to pick a winner from somewhere, right? So... I wasn't that thrilled with the race, but that, you know, my opinion doesn't mean that much. What do you think? Well, I kind of thought that if we were going to see uh, proof that greatest honor fits in the derby picture, I thought we would see it yesterday. And, you know, he, he just looked flat. I mean, he, 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 he did. didn't have the great, he didn't have the greatest of trips. I, he was, he was down on the rail, but even when he got free, he just flattened out. So I, I don't know what, I don't know what to make of that effort. He was not real fast. In no. terms of what it takes to win a Kentucky Derby, he's not real fast coming into the race, and and this did nothing to to make me think he could he would move forward at, like like I thought he would. So well, you know the the comparisons that will come will be two things. One, the excuse be given is that maybe Shug didn't have him cranked during the race; he didn't need to win the race. You know, we'll see. I don't know what camp people stand in with that. That's a possibility. And the second thing, there will be, I assure you, there will be the comparisons to Unbridled. Uh, coming because this was a closer and rain on ran third kind of an iffy third in the derby in the florida derby came back and drilled him in the kentucky derby so that comparison alone you know i'm not tossing a horse at this point after that flat effort but the, the unbridled comparisons will be there and i can understand why i'll, I'll leave it yeah. at that monarchos as well monarchos yeah, exactly uh, ran second to congaree in the uh, wood memorial uh, back in the day and then he, he just, you know, he, he was flat, and then he came back and, and almost set a track record in the uh, Kentucky Derby. So yeah, and again, Street Sense and the uh, Bluegrass lost by a nose and a bit of a muddled finish. 
And all these three horses we mentioned, they didn't just win the race. They just destroyed them on the move on the turn for home. And uh, so, I mean, I could see Grace Honor making that move. So I will not toss the horse. I will always have that in the back of my mind. And uh, his, if you like him, his price just floated up to probably 9, 10 to 1. So. What about known agenda? That was uh, quite the move coming off the turn for uh, for him and uh, pilot uh, Rod Ortiz. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think that horse has upside. That horse has upside, and you can't take anything away from it. I thought it was a fairly easy triumph. Uh, you know, maybe Grace Honor did run fairly well, and the top two are just better than I'm giving them credit for. But uh, it's Pletcher. Pletcher, it kind of seemed like he's had a bit of a quiet year uh, from a three-year-old standpoint, but he's going to have a couple stars in the Derby now, all of a sudden, it looks like, right? Yeah, I believe so. So uh, this uh, coming weekend... There's another huge uh, weekend of uh, preparations. We're going to see the Bluegrass at Keeneland. We'll also see the Santa Anita Derby and the Wood Memorial. Uh, looking forward to the Bluegrass. We're, we're going to see the uh, potential Kentucky Derby favorite essential quality in there. And th- the other two preparations are going to be completely wide open. They're, they should be fun to watch. Yeah, is Concert Tour going to the Arkansas Derby? Yeah, I think so. I think that's the plan. Because, uh, you know, what occurred to me is uh, today is Concert Tour and or essential quality either one of them do not win their prep races the the odds board for the derby just went to complete chaos uh i mean you know because all of a sudden by default these two have moved to the top of the list if they stub their toe uh who knows who knows right now they're the the pro temp leaders but last last week i was working on our uh, our derby sheet our top 11 prospects i couldn't get past four i know yeah from five through Whatever. They're all just, you know, they're, they're unproven. So it's interesting. It's going to be an inter- interesting derby if uh, it's going to be a central quality and concert tour versus everybody else as it looks right now. Yeah, exactly. And uh, before we get to our guests, we do have to mention on Saturday our uh, podcast partner, Mr. Brandon Jaggers. His filly won the Latonia Stakes, Dream a Little Dream of You. In a driving finish, uh, Florence Giroux split horses late. And the filly got got up, and, and now she's a stakes winner. So her value has has completely shot up here in the last uh, 24 hours. Yeah, we're thrilled for Brandon. I know he enjoyed it. His part, He and his partnership group loved it. They've been wanting that horse to run forever, picked the right spot. It was a great ride by Florent Giroux. The horse looked like it might be beaten, but uh, too much class, too much talent, uh, got the job done. And, yes, uh, Mr. Mr. Jaggers, we congratulate you, and uh, way to go, sir. And I will add real quick, I want to say a fond farewell to Turfway meet. Everybody knocks Turfway. It gets, I'll be honest with you, it gets on my nerves. Uh, it was a great meet. I had a blast this meet. I thought it was fantastically done. Uh, it was a very formful meet, no matter what your cliches you'll see online say. Uh, Turfway was probably one of the more formful meets in the country. And I'm personally going to miss it, but I am looking forward to Keeneland because I'm a native Kentuckian. Why would I not be? And speaking of Keeneland, our next guest is a fixture at the popular upcoming meet. Let's get to know him now. We are a mere days away from the 2021 spring meet at Keeneland, which means great weather and racing. And generally, Kentucky becomes the happiest place on earth. Our guest tonight, who is very much a part of the Keeneland scene, is one who will need no introduction, especially within the borders of the state of Kentucky. His unique voice is familiar to those who bleed blue and follow University of Kentucky basketball and football. He began working for the UK Radio Network in 1989, 
running the post-game and call-in shows. In 1997, he became the radio play-by-play man for the Kentucky football team. And then in 2001, he was elevated to the coveted role as the voice of the Kentucky basketball program, stepping into shoes that at one time were filled by legends such as Kaywood Leopard and Claude Sullivan. He's been courtside for all of Kentucky's greatest modern triumphs and heart-stopping climaxes, including the 2012 basketball championship, numerous SEC titles, and several appearances in the Final Four. But his talents exceed more than just UK athletics. He's involved in the sport of Kings as well. He's a two-time winner of the Eclipse Award for Excellence and has worked numerous broadcasts of Triple Crown races since 2016 for NBC Sports and Westwood One. He does exceptional work for Keeneland, ranging from trainer and jockey interviews to analyzing the races. In the Bluegrass State, he's a living legend, and we're happy that he joins us this evening on the Auxiliary Gate podcast. We're joined by Tom Leach. Tom, how are you doing? Doing well. Glad that uh, Keeneland's almost here. It won't be long now, that's for sure. Uh, so, Tom, we're gonna—I'm gonna shower you with a bunch of compliments. Uh, <laughs> well, it, we don't need to waste time with that. <laughs> no, I, no, I have—I have to do this. I mean, Tom, in my lifetime, locally, we've been blessed to to be able to hear a, a lot of talented radio voices. Uh, I'm talking, you know, Marty Brenneman, Kaywood Ledford, Van Vance. Uh, even at the racetrack, that's our world. Kurt Becker, Luke Kreitbosch, Mike Battaglia. I think, you know, in my mind, you belong on that list of, of great and revered voices. So, you know, congratulations, first of all, on a, on a, on a well, great you. career so far. I know all the names you mentioned, they're friends. So that's uh, some, uh, I guess Luke has passed. Um, so that's uh, an honor to be in their company. So I... I think it's interesting that your uh, your career somewhat parallels that of Kaywood Ledford. Uh, you know, Kaywood he crossed over from UK sports to uh, to horse racing. I mean, he was uh, he was well versed in in horse racing for sure. Do you you ever hear that comparison about yourself? No. Uh, well, I mean, I, I guess the, there's a connection, uh, but uh, I don't think anybody compares to Kaywood. So uh, <laughs> he's he's like in a class by himself. For all of us that uh, grew up uh, listening to him as Wildcat fans, uh, but yeah, we we have that uh, uh, mutual affection for thoroughbred racing. I would uh, always enjoy getting to cross paths with Kaywood on the backstretch, uh, the backside at Churchill during Derby Week. He was always doing in the 80s when I first started covering the Derby. He would do a, a special uh, show for HAS TV in Louisville mm-hmm. that. Uh, in those days he had left the station to start his company in lexington but he would still do the derby special uh, every year for has and so he'd be there on the back stretch every morning and uh that uh familiar uh flat uh, cap that he wore and sipping his coffee and you'd always run into kwood and he was always so gracious and just loved loved racing loved talking about it you know claiborne farm named a horse after him named ledford uh, have, have you uh, achieved that honor yet has anybody ever named a horse after you now the the closest uh, is uh, somebody named a horse Touchdown Kentucky yes, uh, for the football call, but they couldn't use all the the you know, the jockey club rules. They couldn't naming rules. They couldn't use all the letters, so it was Touchdown Space K Y, and somebody on TVG called it Touchdown Kai. <laughs> <laughs> so one of your most iconic calls was when Kentucky won the title in 2012, and you said. You know, how do you count to eight? Uh, count along with me. Three, two, one. 
I think those words will live forever in, in UK basketball lore. Did, did you spend a lot of time to come up with that? Or is that, you know, by any chance, was that spontaneous? Or how, was there a story behind that? No, no particular story. You always uh, hope everything can be spontaneous. And, you know, nine times out of ten, it, as it, it is that day, because, you know, when it's a championship game, if the team you're following wins, um, then it's going to live on, as you said, for all, for those fans forever. And because there aren't, aren't many championships and um, that um, is why I gave it some extra thought, but I didn't want it to sound like it was scripted. So I just wanted to kind of I, I thought about it during the day because I thought they would win. And if this happens, what would be something that would kind of feel natural and uh, nothing? Everything felt uh, like it was um, you know, scripted. And then uh, finally, about halftime of the game, was walking back to my seat, and I thought, uh, you know, they're looking for for nine. Maybe just a, a countdown would sound okay. If you know, assuming they're ahead in the final seconds, and it's not coming down to a last shot. Because the thing about scripting something like that is you get too focused on trying to apply the script to the circumstance, and uh, it might not fit. So uh, that's kind of, I mean, I, at halftime, I kind of got that thought that that might work. And so I kind of put that away in the back of my head that uh, if the situation was right, that would uh, maybe be the, what I would go with. And, uh, you know, the thing is you don't want to try to, you know, do, do you believe in miracles and the Al Michaels thing? You don't want to <laughs> try to, you know, hit the home run. You just want to focus in that situation on making sure you get everything right, the score or the names, et cetera, because it's going to get replayed. And if it's, you do something wrong, you mispronounce the name, you give the score wrong or something, um, then uh, you have to live with it being replayed over and over and over <laughs> again. So the first goal is just to, you know, get the basics right. And then if you can come up, you know, and the thing is, you know, at the, at the moment, depending on the circumstances of the game, you might come up with something that uh, is better, but uh, that's kind of how that played out. That's like a 1975 Kentucky Derby when Chick Anderson called foolish pleasure, Prince thou art in right the until the last correct, drive. Right. That, but, that, that, that Derby's replayed, you know, it's, it's part of Derby yeah. lore. And know, now so. they, you know, now they wear, I think entries in a race like that would wear at least something different. There'd be different caps or something. I think they were, the, the jockeys were dressed identically. I think in that race, yeah, something like that. But, yeah, so it sounds like a lot of pressure on that. It, it would have taken me three years to come up with what you said. That, 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 that <laughs> uh, so I'm having a, a, a fanboy moment right now getting to talk to you. Uh, but you spend a lot of time with what we consider household names you know, on a regular basis. It, at this point in your career or any point in your career, did you ever have any fanboy moments of your own just being around? Oh, yeah. Just a, a, a Kaywood in particular and Ralph Hacker, Jim Host, really. I mean, because Jim was the guy that was ultimately going to hire me. So I was always a little nervous when I was uh, first times I was around him. And if I was going to get the job, it was going to be him making that decision, most likely. Um, and then um, uh, Ralph and Kaywood were both very gracious when I was probably a senior in high school. I went to both of them with tapes asking them just to critique and give me some pointers. And they both were kind enough to do that. And uh, some really 
good tips at the time. I was secretly hoping, you know, in both cases that they would uh, be so impressed that they would immediately offer me a job. <laughs> and then I go back and listen to those tapes now. And, you know, uh, it's amazing that they took the time, could even stand to listen to them because they were so bad. But they were very <laughs> kind to do that. And, uh, you know, the thing is, you it's like golf or uh, shooting a basketball or most other sports, you have to be bad before you can be good and you get through, go through the repetitions and you hopefully get to be better. So when you were young, who did you, did you try to pattern your, your calls after any particular announcers? Not so much pattern, but just grew up listening to, to K Wood more than anybody, K Wood and Ralph doing the Kentucky games. And then uh, also as a Reds fan, they had Al Michaels first and then Marty. And so I've always told students that I would talk to that, you know, I had the greatest classroom because I was listening to uh, broadcasters of that caliber on a regular basis. So let's transition into horse racing. Uh, I understand you're from Bourbon County. Uh, that's kind of where thoroughbred breeding is kind of ingrained into, into society mm-hmm. there. Was there ever any doubt that you would cross over into horse racing at some point in your career? Well, I grew up on a farm, but it wasn't a horse farm. We had uh, uh, primarily uh, cattle, hogs, raised tobacco, uh, those kind of things. So, uh, But um, two of my classmates uh, from first grade on uh, were uh, the kids of John Sosby, who was the longtime legendary farm manager at Claiborne. And then those days, uh, you know, I was, I guess, in the sixth grade when Secretariat retired to Claiborne Farm. So, um, you know, that was a big deal in our community and, you know, knew the Sosbys uh, through uh, going through school with uh, two of the kids. And so just kind of got exposed to it early on uh, through those connections and with Secretariat coming to our town to uh, spend his retirement years at Claiborne. And so, you know, I was just really proud of, of Claiborne and a lot of the other farms. You know, it was a Golden Chance farm, won the Derby in 1970 with Dust Commander and the Preakness in 75 with Master Derby. So, you know, those were, uh, you know, uh, my dad was was a horse racing fan. So I got exposed to it through him. I think he, he bet uh, five across on Dust Commander. I always remembered that uh, when uh, we when I was a kid. And so, you know, the Bourbon County horse won the Derby. Uh and uh, so, uh, you know, that was when I was nine, when Dust Commander won the Derby. So those kind of impressions were made early. Had another family friend that was a farm manager at Elmendorf Farm, James Brady, and that was a very successful uh, operation. They had a lot of great horses. So I was just exposed to the highest level of racing through those uh, family and, and friend connections. And so became a fan uh, pretty early on. So let's talk about Keeneland, which opens on Friday. What does Keeneland mean to you? First racetrack I ever went to, uh, we had a neighbor that had a horse that was running at Keeneland. And so we went to watch the horse run and it was like 35 to one and got beat a nose. And I think I remember like my dad bet $2 across for me. So I got hooked early because we thought that it was at the, uh, at the first finish line. He uh, was actually ahead. And, uh, you know, first time to Keeneland, we didn't realize it was actually mm-hmm. finishing at the second finish line. So I got beat a nose, but still we came out, uh, well ahead on the wager. And, uh, so that was, uh, you know, a, a early, uh, induction introduction to Keeneland and, um, just the first, I think media credential I was able to get, 
as I was uh, coming up in the business. I started when I was 16 working at the hometown radio station, and the first media credential I was able to get was uh, Keeneland. And so uh, I uh, would cover the races, and um, Jim Williams was the PR director and, uh, you know, was a great guy to, to work with as far as learning how to cover the sport. You know, guys like, you know, Mike Battaglia, Tom Hammond, Kay Wood, Ledford all were, were around, you know, Keeneland covering the races. And so you got to, to learn from the best, from real pros. And uh, that's kind of, I go back with Keeneland about as far as back as I can remember. So back in the fall, you hosted a podcast with uh, Keeneland's Jim Goodman. Is that, I, I didn't realize that was a thing. I'm, I'm kind of sad because I want to, I want to hear all those. Are, are you going to do that again in the spring? No, we do them uh, every every weekend. We do uh, Jim and I do a, a podcast. Uh, he picks the the track where we do a podcast on the late pick four uh, at a track where there's a you know a major day or a major stakes race, and we do that for Keeneland Select customers uh, year round. It's part of their handicapping products that they offer to their Keeneland Select customers, and so we do that year round. Uh, and um, during the race meet at Keeneland. We actually do it every day of the Keeneland meets in the spring and the fall, but otherwise we just do it uh, for a, a Saturday uh, where there's a big card somewhere around the country. I understand that. Now I'm going to have to start listening to that because that's oh, uh, yeah. very intriguing. Uh, uh, before I turn it over to Alan, uh, any uh, any Keeneland memories that stand out to you? Yeah, the the first one was that the horse I mentioned that we went to see. Um, yeah, I remember when the spectacular bid won the bluegrass in 79 and Aladar the year before I was playing high school baseball at the time. So didn't, wasn't there either day, but was, uh, you know, would have the, the radio there in the dugout and try to, uh, to hear who was winning uh, the race. If we we're in the, in the dugout, when it was, uh, running, you know, we would, uh, uh, you know, don't, don't tell my own kids this, but we would, uh, sneak out of, uh, school occasionally to get to the racetrack. And uh, with, uh, you know, buddies, we have game rained out. So we'd sneak out, go to the racetrack uh, in the uh, afternoon and time to catch the daily double if we could, which was only the first two races in those days. Um, so those are the kind of, you know, early memories I have of Keeneland. Uh, and, you know, just seen so many great horses over the years. I don't know if there's any um, any one that stands out. I remember being there covering the races when uh, the uh, queen made her visit to Keeneland uh-huh. in 84, I uh, believe that was, um, 83 or 84, uh, and uh, a Cherry Valley Farm horse, which was uh, Seth Hancock's farm, uh, apart from Claiborne, he had his own farm, and uh, Cherry Valley uh, won the race that was named in the Queen's honor um, with a horse named Sintra, and right. I remember being there in the winter circle uh, uh, near where the, the uh, Queen was making the trophy presentations. So that was a pretty cool memory. Did you get her autograph? No. <laughs> there were strict rules. On <laughs> I imagine. We were all well coached on uh, on those rules. <laughs> all right. Alan, take it away. Yeah, Tom, you uh, you cover three of the diehard loves of my life for a living. Uh, Kentucky football, Kentucky basketball, and Keeneland racing. So my first question, and likely the most important one I'm going to ask you tonight is, uh, can I have your job? Uh, not anytime soon, but uh, you'd be welcome to uh, down, go for it down the road. But I, I would prefer to hang on to it till I can 
uh, finish getting at least my second child through college. I understand. I understand. <laughs> but in all seriousness, seriousness, so you, you call games with athletes moving at a high rate of speed in basketball and football. So, so being a track announcer, it sounds like it'd be right up your alley. Has, has that thought ever crossed your mind? I mean, Kay Wood and Paul Rogers did it. I, it seems no, like you I've never had it. occasion to do it. I actually, uh, would like to do that at some point. It's, nothing ever fits into the schedule if there was a you know a, a track that uh is, you know let's say kentucky downs at some point you know moved back into you know before football season you know uh something yeah. like that where you could uh you know have a chance to call a like a boutique meet you know a- apart from uh football season um would uh would work um you know because uh, basketball uh Sometimes, uh, you know, would carry over into the start of the Keeneland meet. Um, so I, I've never tried it. Uh, it's I'm, uh, awed by the guys that, that do it as well as they do. Kurt here at Keeneland oh, yeah. uh, has been the only track announcer they've had. Travis Stone right now is excellent over at Churchill. Um, and, you know, uh, got to work on some NBC Breeders' Cup shows, got to know Tom Durkin, and he's uh, as, as good as there's ever been. You know, K. Wood was outstanding uh, at it. Uh, and I, so one of these days I, I do want to, uh, you know, try it, just take a recorder or talk, you know, call it to talk, call a race into my phone, uh, at, you know, some track at you know, drive down to Ellis park one summer day or, you know, Belterra park or something, and just try to do it. See, uh, if I, uh, am, uh, you know, have any aptitude for it and, uh, then try to hone the skill so that, if the opportunity ever does come along, I'd actually uh, feel comfortable enough to try it. Yeah, I like how you start out with Kentucky Downs. I mean, way to way to start the hardest one you could possibly start at. <laughs> well, that would be a tough about, one. it would be all about timing. <laughs> you got that right. <laughs> it's like a, a six day meet that is, uh, uh, you know, and it would if it have to might you know someday be outside of a football season if they moved it back into August or something. So off the top of my head, that was about the only one I could think of where the timing might work. That would be, that one would be challenging, but I'm sure you could do it. Um, switching back to, I guess, basketball, football real quick, something I, I bet a lot of us wondered over this past uh, season and football season, but I guess, I think you were live for the, were you at the, the stadiums for football games, right? Yes. Or not? Yes. Okay. But it was the away games, if I'm not mistaken, you had a call from home, correct? Correct. Yeah, we called okay. from a, a conference room at Memorial Coliseum where we had a big TV screen for any of the road and neutral games in basketball oh. until the SEC tournament. So were you and Mike Pratt uh, in the room together? Were you yes. Separate? Okay. So the two of well, us plus a uh, uh, our uh, engineer slash producer, Jim Barnhart. So it was just three of us. How uh, difficult was that? Oh, it, I mean, it was – it was, let's different. I don't know if "difficult"s the the word I would use. Limited. Uh, I mean, there were there were times when like the video froze up or the screen went dark where you had a you know a unique challenge, but uh, that didn't happen very often, um, three or four times maybe in a whole the whole season. Um, but it's just you don't feel the the energy in the building. Um, right. You know, you want to like to you know see be able to see the whole court, see the whole arena. There'd be times when, you know, be calling a game and ESPN showing some graphic and I know they're, you know, balls coming up the court because a basket's just been made. And so mm-hmm. I, there's, I can't do anything about that until they come out of, uh, you know, go back to the, 
the game on on camera and then they're in the front court. So things like that are frustrating. But I kind of made up my mind early. I wasn't going to get too frustrated or complain um, because I was grateful to have because there was you know certainly a time where we didn't think we'd be able to mm-hmm. do have games or or maybe even do them. That I was grateful to have the opportunity. So um, kind of tried to keep uh, the, that attitude uh, and um, uh, see if we could just uh, get through it. And you know we did. We had. Uh, uh, we had uh, tried to have fun with it and, uh, you know, uh, roll with the punches. So, but you, you probably prefer that you, we don't do that anymore, right? You probably. You're correct. Yeah. Yes, I had a feeling. It's kind of like call, uh, it's, it, the analogy would be I got to call a meaningful game in Memorial, in Memorial Coliseum in the NIT in 2009. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I'd called a few exhibition games in there, but I thought it was great fun to call a meaningful game a postseason game in a building where I had so many great memories watching the Wildcats as I was growing up, but one was enough because uh, yeah. if, if you're, if they're playing that game there, they're in the NIT and that's not where you want them to be. So one was enough. <laughs> I completely agree with you there with this Keeneland spring meet upcoming. Do you, do you kind of feel like kind of in that vein that there's a, there's a different air of excitement and, and anticipation about it coming up because We've got fans returning after the extended absence. I mean, we missed the spring meet last year. It, does, it, does it kind of feel like maybe it serves as an unofficial signal that in the state of Kentucky we're returning to normalcy? Does it? Is there a different sense of anticipation this year with the meet coming up? It seems like it is for me, but I always oh, look I, forward to it. No, I, I think so because I think we all are welcoming any sign of some level of, of re, a return to normalcy. We're not going to be all the way there for a while, but, um, you know, it's just – to see, you know, some crowds in the, the building for uh, high school tournament games in the last week or two. And we'll see them at the state tournaments coming up for the boys and the girls and uh, to see some people and hear some actual real noise from a crowd in the NCAA tournament games. Um, that's uh, been welcome, but it also just serves to underscore how much you, you miss the fan uh, involvement um, and, um, for, for the participants and, you know, participants as broadcasters, participants as players, coaches, et cetera, um, how much, um, you know, that is, uh, takes on even greater value now because you don't, uh, appreciate how much you, uh, need that until it's, it's taken away. I saw, I was reading, uh, some blurb on, uh, Twitter, um, last week, a horse said won a race at Turfway Park and, um, the uh, somebody was posting something anyway. The groom said the horse could he could tell the horse was missing uh, hearing the the mm-hmm. uh, the crowd and I guarantee it's the same way for the for the human athletes. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Uh, actually, makes me think something I wanted to ask you a moment ago and kind of forgot about. But as an announcer, you, we all know you're you're for this, the University of Kentucky, but you or any announcer. Do you get disappointed, like if a last-second shot goes in to beat Kentucky, or a team scores last-second touchdown? You have to, do you have to hide that, or do you? Is it just you just roll with the punches and and do the professional job? I've I've always wondered about that. Yeah, I mean, you you uh, certainly because I grew up as a Kentucky fan, I uh, uh, you know dis- I'm disappointed if they lose and uh, excited if they win. But uh, I learned early on from people like Kay Wood and Ralph and Jim that, you know, you're there to do a job first and foremost. Right. And so you can't get too excited uh, and let that uh, affect 
the the job of giving uh, all the particulars to the audience and or the the disappointment impact that and just as an example uh my high school made a run to the sweet 16 finals in 1984 and i was covering the tournament at a press pass for the first two rounds and they upset Ballard uh, as a massive underdog in the second round. And I was sitting there in press row and loving every minute of this dramatic win and showing virtually no emotion in doing that because it's the job. Uh, so I said, at that point, I'm going into the crowd tomorrow so I can cheer. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's like the line at the end of the untouchables where Elliot Ness is, spent all his time because uh, Kevin Costner is the character is the actor spent all his time, you know, uh, uh, preserving the law of prohibition. And then it was going to change. And they asked him, what's he going to do uh, when they do away with prohibition? And he said, have a drink. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, you, you do what you're there to do. And you, I guess you have the color guys like uh, Mike Pratt and Jeff McCurl. They get to celebrate and you just kind of sit there stoically. Yeah, but I mean they're they're pros too. So I yeah, mean, uh, yeah, they they react maybe a little more, especially as former players. You're just yes. you know you've you've lived it, and it's um, uh, you know it's at a different level than uh, those of us who you know didn't put on the uniform for UK or whatever school it might happen to be. So they uh, they feel it at a at a different level. Um, so I I, uh, I know how they feel, but you know they're very much pros too, so they know they're you know can't get so wrapped up in the game that you forget to do the work oh they're fantastic feel free to uh, pass on our regards to them because we I love will. listening to them as well um a couple keeneland things real quick uh, the opening saturday the spring meet is if you're if you're a racing fan it's one of the the great buffets of racing there is i look forward to every year i know cc does i'm sure you do too um there's a litany of stakes that day which one of those traditional saturday stakes do you feel like you look forward to the most in particular Bluegrass, Ashland, Shakertown. Yeah, I think the Bluegrass just because it's a step to the Kentucky Derby. And uh, there have been so many you know, legendary horses that have uh, won it over the years. And um, I remember a lot of, you know, seeing a lot of those races. And I remember when it was used to be on Thursday, nine days before the Derby. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and so, like, again, coming up through high school, I was, you know, uh, playing baseball while the race was being run. Uh, so as opposed to, you know, being able to, to go to it on a, on a weekend, maybe. So, uh, yeah, it's, I think it would definitely be the bluegrass. You know, and because you're on this podcast, uh, we're going to have a lot of folks listening to this podcast simply because you're on here. And these, these are people who may not know as much about horse racing or Keeneland racing as some of our usual listeners. So I guess I'd say there's me some newbies because of your presence on here. A lot of basketball fans and football fans, what kind of Keeneland wagering advice would you give these newer folks if they decide to head out to the to the racetrack this week uh, next weekend at uh, at Keeneland? What kind of uh, good newbie advice would you give them? Something simple. Usually, the the thing I tell folks is a good place to start is look at the horse's record at the track. That's something yes. you can find in the program, the racing at form, Keeneland. and they're horses that have an affinity for for certain tracks, and um, I think that's a good place to start. Um, Years ago, I uh, attended a handicapping class through a community education program that Mike Battaglia taught. And um, he was uh, one of the, the things he said then was you know, 10% of the jockeys and trainers win about 90% of the races. So, um, you know, the the um, the uh, men and women who uh, are at the uh, the top are 
and it you know goes along with their you know, with the for jockey with their agents too, putting them on the right horses. So some of it's you know there's a lot of it's their skill. Some of it's the skill of the agent to to make the right choice and putting them on the the best uh, particular mount. You know trainers, some trainers you know point for uh, Kima meat. Um, so some of the you can get deeper into the weeds on some of those stats. But the, just look at the the record at the track. And then uh, also look, uh, you know, the speed figures are whether it's a buyer figure in the racing form or the uh, Equibase figure in the program. Um, look for uh, maybe a, a horse that is either steadily improving or has dramatically improved in a recent race. And a lot of times that's a signal that the horse is rounded mm-hmm. into top form. Uh, and then the other thing you could do is look for a horse that uh, is because I'm always trying to, to find you know, value, find horse that's got a better chance than is reflected in the right. odds. So look for a horse that maybe ran poorly last time and, uh, but, uh, and, and is paying too big of a price for, for that relative to his or her overall form in, at the, on the odds board. Um, because people tend to, we're all kind of prisoners of the, the present and, uh, there could be a lot of different excuses that the people working with a horse don't even know at the time for why a horse ran a particularly bad race. And, uh, you know, it, one time you can forgive that. Now, if it becomes a pattern, then obviously maybe there's some something wrong with the horse or needs a little break or, or something. But uh, anyway, start with the, the record at the track and then uh, just also look at wins versus overall starts. You know, some horses have a find a way, like teams, some teams yes. find a way to win, some teams find a way to lose. So horses that, you know, have, I'd rather have a horse that, out of 10 starts has six wins and no seconds and thirds then has one win and, you know, five seconds and four thirds and has been on the board all 10 times, but only one once. I'd rather have the horse that's one five or six and uh, then was off the board in the others. Yeah. That shows a sign of a, a desire to win. Uh, the horse that usually runs second throw all the time don't, don't quite have the heart, the, the mentality to win that the horse that likes to win does. Kind of goes so back to a line. Uh, my first broadcast partner told me, Jeff Van Note, who played in a long time with the Atlanta Falcons and most of his teams were bad. That yeah. He said, winning is a habit and so is losing. Mm-hmm. That is true. And speaking of that, my love Kentucky football. I've, I've been a fan since Fran Kersey, Claiborne, those guys. I'm 51 years old. So what you just said actually applies to Kentucky football, am I right? Losing becomes a habit, winning becomes a habit, and they've they've learned to win. They're uh, they're a lot of fun to watch, and and I'm sure you agree with me. We we might have a special season coming up. I think that every year, but I do like the team coming up this year. Yeah, I do too. I think they're they're uh, positioned very well. I think a lot of it will uh, a big key will be you know how good the quarterback play is to to realizing their full potential. Uh, but I give Rich Brooks a lot of credit, who became a big Keeneland fan in his time here. Uh, and when Rich got here, Kentucky had that uh, history of uh, letting games slip away in the fourth quarter. And they found a, a, a way to come back and win a game when they were down 13 nothing to Vanderbilt. Right. And Rich immediately had the sports information director look up and see where that ranked in terms of all-time comebacks in the fourth quarter. And it turned out it was the greatest fourth quarter comeback ever. It's 13 points. Amazing. And so he made a big deal of that, started to emphasize it because he could sense, he said, he said that he could sense in the crowd, the trepidation when Kentucky might be ahead late in the game, but the other team was driving. Mm-hmm. And so over the time that Rich was here, 
fourth quarter comebacks became a thing that Kentucky uh, got good at and actually featured in their game notes. Uh, as so by, by the time from when he got here to when he left, instead of it becoming a, a moment to fear late in the fourth quarter, it became a time when Kentucky fans got used to their team finding a way to win. And uh, so you've seen a, a lot of more of those fourth quarter comebacks that continued with uh, Coach Stoops. And so uh, I give Rich a lot of credit for helping to to change that kind of mindset that was there that the players could, yeah, I'm sure, sense. And if I'm not mistaken, you wrote a book with Rich Brooks, right? Yeah, yeah. Good guy. Yeah. Really good guy. Yeah, he really so is. became a big Keeneland fan. Um, speaking one thing about I'll, I'll kick this back to CC in a moment, but uh, after this question, because, again, Kentucky football, I've got you here. There's a lot of people that scoff, and we they think that the next season is going to be a particularly good season. Um, Liam Cohen is taking over offensive coordinator. Are there, are there any nuggets from spring practice you've heard so far that uh, that you could pass on, or that 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 give you reason for optimism? Nothing that that you guys uh, haven't heard because I haven't uh, had the chance to get over and uh, see them yet. There's not a spring game to prepare for this right. year, and uh, after the basketball cats. I lost out in the SEC tournament. I used the unexpected free time to take a little uh, vacation for the first time in a couple of years. And so I was gone for about a week. Um, so I, uh, I'm hoping to get over to spring practice here in the um, uh, maybe next weekend or two and um, see a little bit of it. But normally I'd be uh, also kind of doing it with an eye of preparing for the spring game, which uh, they're you know using the facility there for. Uh, testing and vaccines, and so they're understandably not going to disrupt that to play the game. But uh, looking forward to – I like everything I'm hearing from Coach Cohen. Me too. And uh, the the, uh, the upside is there's more time for Keeneland if you don't have a spring game. There you go. (laughs) uh, Back to you, CC. All right. Let's – before we let you go, Tom, let's talk about uh, Saturday's Toyota Bluegrass Stakes. Looks like it's going to take on some added importance this year, essential quality is going to make his last start before the Kentucky Derby in the Bluegrass Stakes. I don't know if you've had a chance to follow the Triple Crown Trail, Tom, but do you have any uh, any opinions or analysis of uh, essential quality? Oh, I, I um, love his, uh, his just determination, his, his uh, you know, grit that he showed last year. Um, a friend of mine's a, a clocker, and so he had uh, told me about how well the horse was training leading up to his uh, first race. I think they're in September, if memory serves it. Derby Churchill. day. Derby day. Uh, yeah, that's right. And so he, um, you know, really finished up strong and then came back and, you know, uh, ran well out at Oakland. And I would love to see the Bluegrass produce another Derby winner. It's been uh, too long since uh, Strike the Gold won the Bluegrass and then uh, added the Derby. And, uh, you know, Street Sense uh, was narrowly beaten in mm-hmm. the Bluegrass and uh, came back and won the Derby. Uh, but and there have been a lot, you know, several horses that have, you know, won the Bluegrass or, or run in it that came back and, you know, were factors in the exacto or trifecta at the Derby. Uh, but um, uh, I would love to see a horse win the Bluegrass and then win the Derby again uh, to do what Strike the Old was the last horse to do. All right, last question, Tom. Uh, who wins the NCAA tournament? Oh, I would say Gonzaga's the the likeliest winner. Don't chalk out on me now. But that's <laughs> yeah, because that's the it's the uh, the 
the chalk there. Um, I think Michigan's got a real shot. I like I like their team all year. Uh, I really like what Jawan Howard did when he got that job and hired a guy like Phil Martelli to join his staff. And um, I thought that was a tremendous hire. It's worked well for them. And um, so I, uh, I I would like to see Michigan uh, do well, and I think they've got a good shot. So I'll, I'll, I'll take Michigan. Uh, rooting for Florida State because of Leonard Hamilton also. Right. Uh, and they play Michigan. Uh, uh, or I guess by the time the Sayers will have played Michigan. So uh, whoever emerged from that game hopefully can uh, go on and uh, get to the Final Four. And, um, you know, hopefully uh, Kentucky got so close to winning the uh, championship with a perfect record back in 2015. I'd like to see uh, Cal have a shot to to do the, to make another run at that with the right team that comes along. And so, um you know, Gonzaga, uh, there's a, a little part of me that's, you know, maybe rooting against Gonzaga for that reason. But I, uh, I have great respect for what Mark Few's done there. So if they complete it, I mean, they're they you watch them play uh, and they, you know, it's like kind of like a horse. There's the eye test and then there's the speed figures and they do well on both. So yeah. they would be deserving if they pull it off. All right. Well, Tom, this has been tremendous. I could listen to you read a phone book. I mean, that, this is <laughs> I, this is uh, this is a dream come true for me, and I'm sure it's for Alan. Well, there's no uh, question. So uh, before before you go, do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, your your website, uh, the podcast, anything else? Uh, sure. The website's TomLeachKY.com, and the the I do a people ask me what do you do? You know, when you're not calling games, and my year round job is a daily radio show, uh, the Leach Report, that's on. Uh, uh, about 30 stations around the state. Um, and that's nine to 10 uh, Eastern every day uh, in most of those markets, a few of them uh, taping and running a little later, but uh, that's the, the Monday through Friday, 12 month a year gig. And so uh, love for folks to tune into that and uh, support that. And then uh, be ready when the games start back in September. Can't wait. Can't All wait. right. All right. Well, uh, we wish you luck at the upcoming Keenly meeting, and uh, maybe Same we'll bump guys. into each other at some point uh, during the meet. And uh, we'll well, at least that's a possibility now with uh, you know people being out there. It was so weird last year that summer meet in particular, where you know it was just so empty, and um, uh, we we realize how much we miss the fans at uh, at sporting events now. I can imagine. All right. Well. Uh, like I said, this has been tremendous, and uh, Tom, we thank you for coming on. So uh, uh, until we meet again, uh, like I said, good luck, and uh, and we'll uh, we'll talk soon. Same to you guys. Good luck. Thank all you. Right, thank you, Tom. And that is all for episode 47 of the Auxiliary Gate podcast with Keeneland right around the corner. We hope we see you soon. But until then, remember that gambling money ain't got no home.